Welcome to the SAC Shining Lights SLP Schools podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Lisa Archibald from Western University. As you know, many speech language pathologists in Canada are employed in schools. Their job is to support children with communication disabilities in accessing the curriculum and achieving their academic and personal potential. It's a challenging job. So many schools, so many students, and not many SLPs. Across the country, SLPs are finding unique solutions to providing the best possible services to the students and school teams with whom they work. In this podcast, our guests describe their innovations in school-based speech-language pathology. Thanks for listening as we shine a light on some brilliant projects. Well, hello and welcome to our podcast today. I'm really excited to have our guest today. Carolyn, I'm going to ask you to introduce yourself. Hi, I'm uh, Carolyn Hovey Johnson. I am a speech pathologist in Northern Alberta. I've been working in schools for 24 years. Um, my team that I work with is called Peace Collaborative Services. The Peace region is the area we work in. So that's why that is named. It's in Grand Prairie, Alberta. Um, we serve urban and rural schools. Um, and our team is interdisciplinary. interdisciplinary. So we have OTs, psychologists, um, physical therapists, consultants for the hearing impaired and the visually impaired. And, um, and then of course we work closely with mental health, um, family supports, and um, of course the teachers in the school have been. So a very much a team approach. Thanks, thanks Carolyn and uh, welcome. And uh, we're really glad to have all that uh, experience that you'll be bringing and talking <laughs> to us about. So um, you talked a little bit about the members of your team. In terms of your own speech and language services, can you talk a, just briefly about your service delivery model? Absolutely. So the core of our service delivery model is consultation. So I do not deliver direct services myself. Um, we have 12 SLPs spread over about six um, school divisions. So what we'll do is go in and consult to the school staff. So we'll have teachers, um, educational assistants, school admin, those kinds of things. And we do that in a team, team model. Um, I also have a therapy supervision um, caseload. So most of the schools that I work in or all of the schools I work in, has an educational assistant that is trained that does my direct intervention, typically for um, the mild to moderate speech sound disorders or language. So mm -hmm. I supervise all that. Right. And then I also consult specifically to uh, the more severe kids who have perhaps um, a one-on-one, one-on-two -on -one, one -on educational assistant. And I'll I supervise that intervention too. Okay, interesting. Mm -hmm. So the um, there's an, maybe that educational assistant is... Uh, in each school, you said maybe there's one in yes. each school, perhaps. Yeah. So in the school division that I work in, um, they're employed by the school, right? Yeah. And they're dedicated to working with this. They're full time dedicated to a, the speech language pathology services. Um, in my schools, yes, but in some schools, not. Sometimes mm. they're the librarian assistant or the kindergarten assistant, and we have chosen them to provide a little bit of intervention because some of the schools are very small, so they wouldn't have a full time caseload of intervention. Right. Sure. Okay. Interesting. And because we're in Northern Alberta um, and unfortunately funding isn't great for some of these services, they're educational assistants. So they may not have any specialized training apart from the professional development we provide for them. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 
All right. And so you said uh, 12 speech pathologists across six school divisions. Mm -hmm. And so yes. do you have a number of schools that you go to? Like a, you, what, what number of schools are you uh, providing supervision or services to? Yeah, so I have three elementary schools. One is really large, about 800 students, and then two smaller ones. And I also have a middle school, which is four to nine, and then a high school, which right. is, yeah, oh. nine to 12. So that's primarily, well, 100% consultation in the high school. Right. Okay. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. So it's, I have students who are two and a half years old and I have students who are 18 years old. Right. My case <laughs> a variety of severities. So. Yes. Yeah. Right. Thanks, Carolyn. <laughs> All right. Well, um, I think you have a, a major challenge that uh, you were going to talk to us about. What, what, what did your group face? Uh, do you want to just tell, talk about first about the challenges that you noticed uh, before your project began? Sure. Um, in the 90s, uh, the early 2000s, what was happening is that the speech pathologists, the speech pathology services followed the funding. So some of the speech pathologists were uh, paid by health. And some were paid by education and some um, were paid by an envelope of money for the uh, low incidence population. Back then it was autism, cerebral palsy, and then of course, visually impaired or hearing impaired. So what would happen is that in some schools you had three speech pathologists specifically, but this uh, covered OT psychology, the same, all of the same professions. So you would have three speech pathologists going into a school during the school year, some to see their specific clients, some of the classrooms, specifically kindergarten, would have up to three speech pathologists that they were seeing, uh, receiving recommendations for, trying to implement those recommendations. And the feedback from the, we call them the stakeholders, that the teachers, the, the school admin, was just that it was too overwhelming. Mm. And there was a real lack of engagement from some from some schools because they were just overwhelmed. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, and so just to talk a little bit more about that funding, mm -hmm. uh, how that works, what, what, what makes someone be funded for receive services through the health SLP versus the education SLP? So previously health would cover um, the mild, moderate um, articulation disorders or something like that. So K to 12, anyone who was mild, moderate was, was funded under something called school improvements, school health improvements, so SHIP funding. Mm -hmm. The PUF funding, which is the severe preschool funding, was, was uh, in our area provided through either private practitioners or our team. So you would have a separate PUF one that was education funding. And then the third level, you would have the low incidence funding that came from a different level of the education system, recognizing that these kids are low incidence, they're going to need something a little bit different. So there were three envelopes of money that were being distributed separately, separately. Mm -hmm. And then okay. the impact on that was, we live in northern Alberta. So some of these schools were five or six hours away. So you had three speech pathologists driving five hours. To see them. <laughs> right? Yes. Yeah. So even so the school in that case, um, the school has the money that you're talking about those envelopes or that puff funding, mm -hmm. but they didn't hire a speech pathologist themselves. That's not the way they were using their money. If I understand it, is that, am I correct there? No, there was one school division that we worked with that hired speech pathologists. So that was Grand Prairie public, but they also housed the low incidence team. 
So in that, at that time, there were three or four low incidence teams in Alberta, Calgary, Edmonton, Fort McMurray and us uh, in Grand Prairie. So we had the low incidence people. So at that time, Grand Prairie Public said, well, we will use these people to also serve our, um, serve our ship money. So our mild, moderate money and our puff. So they were really the first people to say, let's take this money and pool it. But yeah, the rest of the school divisions really either use the health unit, speech pathologists or private practitioners to serve their puff. I see. Okay. Yeah. So but- it's really whoever they could find and then the health unit people that were assigned right. to their school. I see. Okay. So that, yeah, that, so the health unit people, I was, I was imagining if you, if it's pro, if it's con, you know getting consultation service from private, mm-hmm. could there be one speech pathologist coming in for three different fundings, or is it always going to be more than one speech pathologist? But the health unit is somewhat different for sure. Yeah, and then the um, other ones only in the in our school division in Grand Prairie Public would there have been the same speech pathologist for mm-hmm. puff, mm-hmm. mild, moderate, and mm-hmm. the um, so. But in most of the other ones, no. We say, for example, our low incidence team served children in high level, which is five hours away from here, and they would have had a private practitioner come in for their puff kids, and then a health unit person come in for their ship. So there was definitely three. Right. Yeah. Just remind us about the low incidence team. I think you, you did mention, just remind us what that team is doing. So they would see the kids who were visually impaired, All right. uh, deaf or hard of hearing. Um, in the past, autism was included in that low incidence, no longer, of course. Mm-hmm. And then some of the more specific, um, say, developmental disorders that were angel men's, those kinds of things. Right. There was a very uh, strict... Um, decision-making process who would get to be on the low incidence team yeah okay I think that's a a good picture there Carolyn so I think we're ready we can understand the challenge uh that that system would uh present so can you talk then about um what you decided to try out what what project uh, did did you respond with sure so in um recognizing that this was a problem um, the, the government said, here's some project money in each of your regional divisions. So of course, our challenges are different than Southern Alberta, different than Calgary. So uh, they gave us some project money. And in 2009 was the year the, our pilot project included three schools from three separate school divisions. So the Catholic, the public, and then one of the rural school divisions of the county. They were assigned one speech pathologist, one occupational therapist, and one psychologist, along with we had an educational programmer, so who specialized in, you know, translating our recommendations into the classroom for the teacher. So um, we served all of the students in that school, regardless of severity, regardless of what funding envelope they fell under. If that child needed my service in that school, he got me rather than anyone else. So And then, so that was one aspect of the project. The other aspect was that we really focused, shifted our focus from the individual students to more of a universal strategies in the classroom. Because what we recognized was that we could really impact more students more effectively if we focused on the teacher, if we focused on the teaching practices, right? Which which we all know, but what happened was that we were allowed time in our day to really focus on that. So we didn't have to be saying, we're going to see in this student. It was, we're going into grade four today. Mm -hmm. 
yeah. So, um, we, we really focused or shifted our focus to our clients started to include the teacher. All right. Yeah. So that was a really interesting, interesting. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so those three schools that were in that project, they were randomly chosen or they volunteered or they were particularly enthusiastic. Yeah. So what happened was our team leader went to the school divisions that said, this is our project. You guys pick the school so that Mm. they started to have more influence on the services that were provided in their school district. Mm -hmm. So they chose the schools. Right. And so, and then the ministries, because of this project funding, you could uh, do um, the, the, all, all of the, the available funding was sort of unified, I guess. Right. For for that project here, we were allowed to say, no, this is what we're going to do with it. And we just had to submit a proposal and they okayed it. Right. And off we went. And with that project, then how, how often would your team be in a school? How often would the, the team, the school group see you? At least weekly. So right. during that year, I only had three schools on my school, on my caseload, and mm-hmm. I'm a full-time speech pathologist. So it was quite glorious. Right. Um, so 0.33 for pretty much all of them. So we were there um, weekly, if not more often. Right. Yeah. And would you be arriving as a team and and uh, approach things as a team? Typically, yeah. We would mm-hmm. um, walk into the school. And what the, the, another aspect of it is that we really asked the school administrators to engage in what are your priorities for your school? Where do you think our services need to go? And so they would set our priorities for the day or for the week or for the month. And we would follow up on that typically as the team. Mm-hmm. obviously sometimes we would splinter off into our specific areas right grade one needed ot because they really were focused on handwriting and printing so she would go off and maybe do some team teaching with the with the teacher at further and i i still had my supervision um responsibilities so then mm-hmm. i would splinter off and do that right mm-hmm. interesting and so can you talk about what were some of the priorities that that schools were coming up with putting on your list one of the main priorities was to take all these splintered recommendations that a a teacher may get for student a b and c and say how can i implement this in my classroom without building separate programs for each Mm -hmm. of these kids Mm -hmm. right so Mm -hmm. when you have an autistic child and perhaps a child with um, developmental language disorder and down syndrome you they all want you to use visuals, but maybe they're described in a different way. So we would go in and we would show her how that could be implemented in a class-wide universal level and really benefit all those kids. So really we were taking um, the recommendations for individual kids and showing them how to implement them in their classrooms. Yeah, and of course we still had, you know, the, the children who needed something different and they right. would default to those, yeah. So that's interesting, Carolyn, because I would imagine even as a team yourselves, you would see these discrepancies in these recommendations and you needed, there was maybe a time when you needed to work together to figure out what that would look like if it was integrated. Could you talk about how your team grew from that? Oh, it was a huge learning year because honestly, if you are a busy speech pathologist, you're maybe not reading the psychology recommendations with a fine tooth comb. So <laughs> you don't realize how much you're placing on the teacher, mm-hmm. the, the different types of wording 
as a, as a psycho or speech pathologist, I may understand, oh, that means the same thing I just said, but they don't have that, that education to actually interpret it those ways. So we really started to pay a, more attention to each other's professions and how our recommendations overlap and really started working together in that implementation of, you know, executive functioning. How can a speech pathologist help support a child who has attention difficulties with the same type of recommendations for that I would have used for a child with language difficulties. Mm -hmm. So we really, really started to pay attention to each other's professions. Yeah. Professional recommendations. That was a huge learning curve for all of us. Yes. Yeah. I can imagine that. uh, And the riches. So, so some, I think that's um, an interesting perspective, right? So Mm -hmm. sometimes when I read Um, a list of recommendations, I say, oh, you know, they're all just the same as mine. And I can exactly appreciate what you're saying is that that may not be what the teacher's feeling. Right. right? Even though we also go ahead, please. No, you you go. We we also learned that a list of recommendations is not doing what we need it to do. We really needed to focus on as a team, what are our top three recommendations for this teacher? And because we could come back the next week or the next week, um, we could say, we're going to shelve these recommendations until she feels really comfortable with the first three. And then we can come back. And that was a huge luxury that we didn't have when we were traveling three hours, five hours away, three times a year. We had to give it all at once and hope they could do it. Yeah. Right. And and because our feedback from our, um, our stakeholders, our teachers and saying, you give me a 12 page report, I'm overwhelmed. Right. You know, they just have so much on their plate that we really needed to parcel out for them. And it was so much more beneficial for the children. Absolutely. And absolutely understandable too, Mm -hmm. right? I mean, yeah, yeah. I mean, how could we expect the teacher um, to to really put that kind of information, digest it and put those recommendations into, into place? Through those frequent conversations, we were able to take, really understand the teacher's perspective of what our service looked like and felt like to them. Yes. We hadn't taken that time before. Right. And that must have been very insightful, you know, realizing what it felt like, might feel like on the other side of that table. That's right. I want to talk some more about that. But first, I want to go back Mm -hmm. to, you mentioned this educational programmer. Can you, can you talk more about that person? So that person was um, just a a wonderful teacher who had been working, had worked in the classroom and then had transferred her skill to, she had worked in a segregated special education classroom. So she really had a wide, um, vast knowledge of the types of recommendations she understood what they she had worked closely with our teams and so she came on our team and really helped those teachers um, take those recommendations sit there with them and say along with the curriculum how would these fit in your classroom Mm -hmm. because what we don't and we are not experts on and teachers are is the curriculum so that person was a real uh, she had a real skill in being able to meld the two because mm-hmm. she understood both worlds. Right. And did she also challenge you guys? Absolutely. Uh, yeah. And, uh, any, any, any little stories on, on what that might look like? Well, what, what she just, she really challenged us to stop using the language of our professions 
and start using the language of the classroom and of the teachers, because that is our setting. And so it really became like, what do you mean? What do you mean? What would that look like? And it was a huge challenge for us to say, hmm, well, I don't know. And especially uh, a couple of the team members were relatively new to the profession. I had been working a little bit longer, so I could give specific examples of how that would be implemented. But just that challenge of you need to make this more um, functional for the teacher mm-hmm. and doable. Yeah. And, and so then I'm- I learned that a whiteboard visual schedule was just as good or better than a printed board maker visual schedule. Draw mm-hmm. some stuff on the whiteboard. And then that was something, oh, the teacher's like, I can definitely do that. Those are the kinds of visuals that are being able to be implemented daily. Right. On the fly. That, that, that's On the, the advantage fly. of that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Any other and examples off the top of your head of the, uh, you know, of, of what, of your, how well, your reclamation might have changed? I know. Um, to, for the classroom. The, the, and it really, it really did challenge me to get to know how the curriculum introduces things like vocabulary, how the intro, it, it introduces the idea of comprehension. Um, that was really my first year that I, that I dipped my toe into literacy too. Mm-hmm. So really thinking about, um, she, she, you know, she would say, well, in grade three, we're looking to to change to, you know, comprehension. How are you going to support this child who, who has apraxia and is not yet speaking clearly? How do they know if he comprehends? So really taking those eye in the, or uh, in the sky kinds of recommendations and making them super functional for the teacher. Yes. When he's reading out loud, these are the types of questions you need to ask him so that you know that he comprehends. Right. Yeah. Right. And so then you had to do the work to figure out what that would look like so that you could make that recommendation. Absolutely. Yeah. And then because we were only three schools, I could go in and try them and go, right. oh, well, that didn't work. Let's go back. Right. <laughs> and what I realized when working with the teachers, there's a value in failing in front of a teacher Yeah. because they have this idea that a speech pathologist is an expert and the expert is coming into my classroom and we need to show them we're just professionals with a specific set of knowledge and we're going to try this and see if it works. Right, yeah. right. And I think that's fair enough, right? Because of these strategies, we might even try them out in, in a you know, withdrawal setting, but with so much going on in the classroom, mm-hmm. you don't know for sure that that strategy is going to work. Right? Absolutely. And I, and I think it brings that team right you know oh that didn't work but if I tried this or you could right then maybe together uh, you and the classroom educator could figure out how to implement that strategy in a way that will work for that child that's right and sometimes the benefit was having the occupational therapist or the psychologist watch me try to implement that and the psychologist would say well no wonder he didn't sit still his feet weren't on the floor or the psychologist would say did you see how many distractions were in the area right Mm -hmm. so that the benefit of having an observer and then the teacher was involved in that with us yes 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 so I'm interested in um the the teacher focus there right so you you know you already sort of alluded it to with you know the experts coming in the classroom Mm -hmm. and now you're bringing a team of experts, even perhaps, as you've just described, you know, how responsive 
to that? Were, were the teachers, were they, you know, were they all equally embracing of it or, you know, how did that go? No, there's definitely a, a spectrum of, of, I'm welcoming you into my classroom, please come in, open door policy. And there were some teachers who, who absolutely never invited us into mm-hmm, their classroom. Mm-hmm. And so as a consultant, uh, what we learned was that we needed to gauge the readiness of the teacher mm-hmm. to uh, receive any type of consultation. Um, and if you didn't gauge that properly, and say, for example, you you uh, gauged it wrong and a teacher was was quite resistant and you piled her with recommendations, you've just done harm to future consultations. Yeah. So s- during that year, sometimes what we did, a, a lot of what we did was we sat in the staff room and we, we became, tried to become part of their staff so that they would open the door to us and say, yeah, you're not so scary, or I'm, I'm going to welcome you into my class only for this, you know, class. Excellent. But what we would do is we would change their level of, of, of acceptance for us. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then and- other teachers were completely open to come mm-hmm. on in. Yes. And do you think the educational programmer was, uh, you know, had a part to play there? Absolutely. She really was that bridge Mm -hmm. between Mm -hmm. um, the team and Mm -hmm. like the experts. I I detest that word, the Mm -hmm. the different professionals and the teacher, Mm -hmm. because um, she'd been there. She taught a classroom of, you know, little kids. Yeah. Right. I mean, that was um, a really, I think, important and and you know brilliant really piece to the project that of design right having the design itself had an educational programmer in it and which is I think um could easily be overlooked as an idea yeah yeah Yeah. it it often is overlooked um now our project or changed into a different type of implementation. Typically our educational programmers or inclusive ed teachers are based at the school. So they're school staff, but they have an essential role in Mm -hmm. making sure that um, what we're doing benefits the teacher and Mm -hmm. the student. Yeah. 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 Really, really interesting Mm -hmm. um, to, to include that. You know, I've, I've often seen like literacy consultants, you know, those expert teachers that are supporting teachers Mm -hmm. and they are almost in a different service group than the speech and language or other groups. And, and so that, um, you know, I'm not sure that I have seen that really working closely Mm -hmm. um, together. So that's, that's a really interesting part of that. Yeah. It was a huge part of the success of the project. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Um, all right. So, so where that was in 2009, how long did that Mm -hmm. project last Carolyn? Just a year. Oh, just a year. Right. And, and what did you demonstrate at the end or how did you show what happened in that project? It was mostly, um, feedback from the teachers. So we surveyed, surveyed them. So, um, what we found and what was reported by, um, based on our outcome survey was that they felt more supported through not only the frequent visits, but the different type of service. They didn't feel overwhelmed. They felt like they knew who they could go to when they needed help. Whereas previously I may have walked into school and said, oh, I'm sorry, he's not in my service envelope. I can't help you with that. Um, So they could ask any of us for help and we would figure out, we would be the person who had to figure out how to get 
Um, other outcomes included uh, a single referral form, which was huge for the teachers. Um, we, we started to think about, it wasn't developed at that time, but we started to think about an online access to reports mm. so that they could go on and find the report rather than waiting for it to be mailed. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. So some of that infrastructure um, became some of the most important outcomes. But uh, to me, the relationships were the, were the big outcome mm-hmm. that they felt that we were part of their school team. Yeah. And we were there to help all of the students in the school, not just a specific few. Yeah, and interesting. The idea of, I'm just, and this sort of relates to the old, your earlier comments about where the people came from, the single referral form, but mm-hmm. people on that team, like your psych and OT, and you were you potentially from different agencies or you were all coming from the same agency? We were all coming from the same agency just mm-hmm. because uh, Grand Prairie Public had had been the, the model for this. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, so yeah. had we been had we implemented the project in a different town, then we would have come from different agencies. Right. Right. And do you think that would have like the single referral? I mean, that is a pretty big achievement as you said, (laughs) do you think that would have the, if you'd had more than one agency, do you think because that team over that year that you still would have been able to develop that? No, probably not because um, healthcare, the, the, the health unit speech pathologists are governed by Alberta health services Mm -hmm. who have a much more top down, uh, mm. type of decision-making process. So there's no way that we would have been able to change their referral form right. at that point. Mm. Um, we were lucky enough to be a small organization kind of on our own. And we mm. made this decision that this is our referral form. This is our informed consent process. And away we went. That would have right. never happened in a bigger yeah. organization. Okay. Well, that's a lot of success in a one-year project. Mm. Uh, so uh, tell me what, where you've come to from, from then. Well, it's been a, a bit of a process. Uh, the Alberta government um, in the 2010-2012 decided that we would be having regional co- collaborative service delivery teams across the province and the regions could decide what those looked like. So our region, because of the success of the project, chose this model. So then we expanded to all of the schools, all of the school divisions in this area, and also included a couple of First Nations um, that were in our area. And we started implementing this one professional in the school uh, model. So um, it, don't get me wrong, there were some bumps along the way um, because the regional collaborative service delivery took all of that. So we started to have health unit speech pathologists on our team and and we started to have other types of service delivery people on our team so and again we needed to agree on on uh, referral forms and consent processes and all of that kind of thing but the that was our difficulty on the ground in front of the teacher this type of service was delivered so I feel that that was a huge success and again we had tons of great feedback that this was really working better for them regardless of the hiccups Mm -hmm. yeah so that yeah that's interesting and so in that case now you had people from different agencies as you've said and that they could they could form a cohesive team across the agencies there yes we did uh, a lot of teaching of mentoring so the team members of the original project started uh, we call it the road show because we would go on the road and we would teach the individual teams how to consult together Mm. 
um, what did that look like, Karen? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so we would hold in services, half day in services, and we would talk about these were our core um, core learnings. These were the core infrastructure things that we changed. And then uh, one of the psychologists helped uh, the consultants figure out how to gauge where your teacher's at. Mm-hmm. In, in are they really going to buy into what you're saying, or do we need to, you know, at a different level? Um, he based it on the stages of change. Mm-hmm. different stage of change you have different types of recommendations so that was because we're not trained to be consultants mm-hmm. in university mm-hmm. we're trained to be direct providers of service so it, it's a definitely a different skill set so yeah interesting yeah. did you have any teams that really struggled yes yeah yeah we do yeah because again like if there if the professionals aren't bought into um the service model then then they're going to struggle with that. Mm. I've had a lot of speech pathologists really mourn uh, the direct service, like they're not providing direct service anymore mm. in some of these places. And that's a, a professional choice. You mm-hmm. know, if you want to be a prov- direct provider, then being a consultant's not for you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And uh, and did the roadshow do some some extra support for some of those teams that struggled more? Yeah, we did some speci- mostly online or telephone mentorship mm-hmm. for some of our. So if it was the speech pathologist that was struggling, I would do that extra little bit of mentorship. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or um, they would come and observe us do our jobs. So we often had people come in, um, shadow us for a day or two. Right. Oh, right. So that that would be quite a useful resource. Yes. Because your team stayed together. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So that would be. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then as we change, because one of our challenges is staffing. So we would um, we would change periodically. But really, the core values of what we were doing very much stayed the same. There's Mm -hmm. been uh, a core team of us oldies that have been here a long time. And we really hold this in high regard. So we we mentor them into it. <laughs> right, right, right. And I think, you know, one of the real shining parts is the collaboration uh, across the team. Do you want to talk a little bit about that, Carolyn? Sure. So when um, I have a, a team day, we have, we have assigned team days in every school, pretty much every month. So when we are all expected to be in the school on site uh, for those days, the school administrator chooses priorities for us for that day so we kind of give up our time and say okay what's up um we always have a psychologist uh, an occupational therapist and a speech pathologist in those days mm-hmm. um we're the core team and then as needed the psychologist or the other low or this physical therapist or the other low incidence people come in so what that is we just really our lines are blurred at that point we are there to solve a problem we can, I talk a ton about executive functioning with all of my people. They may bring up language issues that they heard or observed because we, again, are paying attention to each other's disciplines. I may note that a child is moving a ton in the classroom. I don't provide recommendations for that, but I make sure to note it to the occupational mm-hmm. therapist, mm-hmm. those kinds of things. So mm-hmm. it really becomes almost transdisciplinary based on your team. Right. Yeah. And you don't have so much of the, um, you know, we often see that speech pathologists are more focused on the 
the earlier grades and the psychologists are more focused on the on the later grades. Is that still a part of what you're seeing or is that less so, do you think? Or? Uh, uh, probably less so than, than most places. Uh, of course, I do focus a lot of my time and attention on, you know, the K to three kids. Mm-hmm. Uh, specifically, we've started to do a lot of work with uh, with the school divisions around literacy. So um, and then as the child progresses, maybe we'll be speaking to this, the psychologist about, well, maybe we need a, an ed psych or mm-hmm. maybe I'll do a TILS to lead into an ed psych, those kinds of things. But no, across, I will, I will be in all of the meetings for the older students mm-hmm. too, mm-hmm. unless of course it's a specific, right. you know, right. very sensitive issue or something. Mm-hmm. 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 Yeah. So there's, there's a bit more access to that collaboration across Absolutely. All of the grades there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And what I really find is that because we're uh, interdisciplinary, the psychologist spends a lot less time talking about quote unquote behavior mm. because we really are focused on classroom and then the child's skill versus, you know, behavior plans or sticker charts or anything mm. like that. Mm-hmm. Because uh, the, the assumption is that that's got an educational context and that's what you're that's where the the discussion is happening right there's a gap between what we're asking the child to do and what he can do Mm -hmm, and so mm -hmm. uh, often it's the speech path and ot and the teacher who come in and and try and fill those gaps in right right Mm -hmm. as a way of addressing but not as you say addressing it as a behavior plan rather addressing the expectations so that the match is better that's right yeah Yeah. Mm -hmm. really nice yeah Mm -hmm. so i think you've had um uh, a very recent change in Alberta that that threatened things and yes. uh, you know where where's where are things at now um so the RCSDs were disbanded by the current government in early 2020 it was a very exciting time early 2020 <laughs> uh, that's a collaborative I- <laughs> that's a regional collaborative team right right yeah. so the yeah. regional uh what they decided was that based on some feedback from the urban centers that this wasn't working Mm. So they got rid of the whole service model. So what has happened, however, our stakeholders did not want to disband the team. And so they, most of them managed to, to uh, work together, continue to pool their money f- that comes now again from various sources. Uh-huh. And on the ground, our service looks the same yeah. in most places. Interesting. Yeah. So at the ministerial level, you were able to get uh, pooling of the Not the at the ministerial level, the school divisions. Oh, yeah. the school divisions. Yeah. Because the school division is receiving monies from all those ministers. Ministries. That's right. Yeah. And then they could pull that. That's right. Mm. And some chose to pull out and, and to have their own team. Mm. Um, some of the First Nations chose to pull out and have their own team. But uh, the, um, a core group of school divisions stayed together and decided to continue to pull. Because again, if you're a school division who has a, a, a speech FTE of 1.6, up here, you're never going to hire a 0.6 speech path to move right. to I see. Know, mm-hmm. a, a small rural place. Mm-hmm. So really, our pooling of the of the professionals really benefits those smaller school divisions. Right, right. For recruitment and retention of yes. the professionals themselves. I see what you mean. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And then they're not isolated. So you're not hiring one speech path. You're hiring to a department where mm-hmm. we mentor and support. Yes, yes. To your department, which is, wh- which is where, where, like, where does that, 
department, right? When you say they're hiring to your department, where does that department reside? So the, the department still resides in the Grand Prairie Public School Division. So mm. we have offices and our, we are followed by their IT and those kinds of things. So, but really it's, it's become a virtual department. We meet right. online, mm. we support online, those kinds mm-hmm. of things. But mm-hmm. yeah, physically, we're still based in the Grand Prairie Public School Division. Right. Even though you're employees of who are you employees of? <laughs> PCS has a banker board. So uh, they're yeah. just like, here, you hold all the money and you pay right. the people. And mm-hmm. that is Grand Prairie Public, just because that's history. They've okay. always done it. Yeah. All but right. We have a leadership team who, based on the six school divisions, they come mm-hmm. together and make the decision. So, right. for example, are we going to, you know, change their benefit package or are right. we going to give them a raise? It's mm-hmm. a leadership team decision. I see. So are you a school board employee? Yes, you are. Mm -hmm. And the school board then would, would post its vacancies and hire into their that and they would become part of your team for this group that's that stayed together as your district. Yeah. Yeah. Some of the differences I know of, you know, in, um, say, if you're employed by Edmonton public, you may be, um, may not have a, a department, you may not have the interdisciplinary kinds of things that mm-hmm. we do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. we kind of float over. Right. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Very interesting. Mm-hmm. Carolyn, thank you so much for your time today and for telling us about the services in your, uh, in your area. It's been so oh, to learn welcome. about how collaborative your team is and how you solve those challenging problems. But I think um, in other provinces, as we uh, as we have other guests, we'll see that that money is often fragmented across speech and language services um, and how to be, be effective or even how to uh, bring that money together to to bring a, a substantive service is really challenging. So I think people will be really interested in hearing about what uh, your group has done. I think um, one of the key benefits is an innovative leader and the will to be innovative and, and make that happen. Well, that's super great advice. And that brings us just, and that just reminds me and brings us to our final questions mm-hmm. as, as, a, as a sort of finish to the podcast, then um, how do you and your colleagues support one another in the work you do? So again, we do have a department. So we often have online chats. We send out messages, come help, come see my one child. Does anyone have uh, recommendations for a child who's who's stuttering, those kinds of things. So we provide a lot of um, uh, online support, and we also have when a when a new staff member comes into our department, they're assigned a mentor, and they are expected to participate in mentoring. So yeah. that's a huge yeah. benefit for sure. And and what's your top tip on being a school based SLP? Do you think my top tip? I think is focus on the teachers and the EAs as your client. Um, kids are, are, they will each have individual needs and that's part of our job too, but really focusing on the teacher and the EAs as the client is a huge, um, uh, it's very important in our work. And I think don't underestimate how much we know. What I've learned is that teachers are just given a a smattering of information about language and literacy and we really have the depth of knowledge so don't be afraid to share it because we are the experts in that area really nice and and one last then what's your favorite out of work 
activity or some of your favorite out of work activities? Well, uh, currently, because it's summertime, I love to garden. I love to go and get my hands dirty. I'm not very good at it. Northern Alberta is a challenge, but that's my real joy. <laughs> ah, very nice. It does feel great to get your hands in the dirt. It sure it? does. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Thank you very much for your time today, oh, Carolyn. Thanks for it's having great me. To have you. Thank you for listening to the SAC Shining Lights SLP Schools podcast. You can find all podcasts, transcripts, and links to the episode resources on the SAC website. That's at sac-oac.ca. If you'd like to be a guest on the podcast or you'd like to suggest a guest, please email the host, Lisa Archibald, at larchiba.uwo.ca. That's L-A-R-C-H-I-B-A at uwo.ca. You can listen to our podcast on all of the major podcast servers. If you liked this episode, be sure to give it a thumbs up on your platform and share it through your social media and other channels.